Okay, so I've asked Nick to come and read the scripture this morning, and uh, it's quite a lot. Uh, I gave it to you on a handout for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to be able to write all over it and not mess up your Bible, okay? And I really would like for you, though you probably didn't bring colors with you, uh, I, I would like for you to... When Nick and I met earlier this morning, he said, I thought maybe a kid had gotten a hold of your paper. You know, I'd, I'd like for you to be able to underline, circle, connect, because in a minute you're going to see why this is becoming very important. But Nick, it's, uh, it's 18 verses. No pressure. But, uh, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd like for us all to hear it from the same text of the ESV is what we're reading from this morning. So why don't you read God's word to us? Cool. All right. This is Matthew uh, chapter 6, 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises Empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, Father, we've opened your word together, and now we ask you by your spirit to be our teacher. So would you speak to us, Lord, in personal ways? Would you speak to us corporately as we gather around to learn how to pray? Because we put this request before you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how to pray, and you will notice there that the what we typically would call the Lord's Prayer is indented. Perhaps if you open your Bible and you can look at it together, you may find that there's some type of change of text that shows that this is what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. Now, some say we should rightly call it the Disciples' Prayer, because this is what the Lord taught the disciples to pray. 
So we can use those two terms interchangeably as we talk about what it means to learn to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now, I think it's interesting that, that Johnny and I preach so differently. And I hope that helps you because I want you to understand the body of Christ is made up of different gifts and skills used at different times for his glory. And we're going to take turns. It won't be every other week. We don't want to be that predictable, okay? But we, we do want you to understand as we team preach our way through the Lord's Prayer that we're asking God to teach us how to pray. Now, this is Matthew's account. In Luke, the disciples actually said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he prayed this prayer. It's important, though, before we just dive into the Lord's Prayer next week and start going through it section by section, it's important that you get a context on where it comes from because every text has a context. So where do we find this prayer? Well, it's in Matthew chapter 6. All right, I, all right, I get that. But where is Matthew chapter 6? It's kind of between 5 and 7, right? I mean, come on, lighten up a little bit. Let me, let me see you're listening. All right, and do your head like this, all right? So this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as Matthew's presenting King Jesus, and he talks about him being born, and then we see, we see the wise men coming, and then we see Jesus being baptized and tempted, then we see him calling his disciples, and then the scripture says there was a crowd that was coming after him, so he goes up on the mount that has become known as the Mount of the Beatitudes. You can go today to Israel, and you can see overlooking the uh, Sea of Galilee, this mountain hillside that everybody thinks that's probably where the Lord's Prayer, I mean, where the, the uh, Beatitudes were given as the, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And so it says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the multitude, he sat down because that's what rabbis do when they teach. So I won't stay here very long, okay? But I'm going to sit down for a minute and I want you to get the context of the Lord's Prayer. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. I'm not going to preach them all. But I want you to see how it fits. And now we come to chapter 6. And verse 1 becomes a key hinge, if you will, to everything he's about to say. Look at how it reads. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay. So he's about to say there are three different kinds of religious practices that you're doing and you need to be careful when you do them because you may go through the activity and miss the whole point. So this morning, if you want to take a pen, everybody should have one nearby because of the way we have the registration things going on. You should have a pen. It's maybe hard to write on your lap, but I want you to see the connection between words that are repeated over and over and let it become something that gives you context to the Lord's Prayer. First, he says that the three different areas, look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy. So he's about to explain how they're giving alms to the needy. And then he says in verse 3, but when you give. You're going to see that context three different times. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. But instead, when you give, here's how you should do it. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. But then in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your inner room, to your closet, and shut the door. And when you pray, 
Don't use the empty phrases. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now go down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So we've got three different things going on here. He's saying, now, when you give, there's a right way to give and a wrong way to give. When you pray, there's a wrong way to pray and a right way to pray. And when you fast, there's a wrong way to fast and a right way to fast. And some of you say, what is a fast? Is that like breakfast, you know? I mean, what, what's the deal on that, right? Well, whether you're dealing with Judaism or whether you're Islam or Buddhism or, or Hinduism, all of those, you will find some pattern of fasting. And it's not uncommon in the New Testament and throughout the generations to see that believers have seen fasting as a way to intensely seek after God. I remember going to see my daughter in the Middle East, and I went to a Starbucks, and there was a sign on the door that said Ramadan hours, and I was trying to figure out exactly how that works, and in their culture, when they fast, they don't eat all day long while the sun's up, and then at night, they have a party, and they eat a lot, and that's the pattern of fasting, not fasting during Ramadan. There are seasons that you see the, the fasting that would go on in, in uh, Israel. I was talking to a pastor the other day, and he and his wife were, were in Israel, and they were, they were joking about what happened at the hotel on the Sabbath. If you've ever been to Israel, and you've been in a hotel on the Sabbath, you will notice that there are Sabbath elevators and regular elevators. The Sabbath elevators have been pre-programmed so you don't have to push the button and do anything to make it work. But if you get on it, you're probably going to miss your floor because it's going to go like an express train from one place to another. And someone was screaming at them, no, 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 don't get on that one, don't get on that one, it's the Sabbath elevator. What is a Sabbath elevator, you know? Well, it's some kind of process that you go through to acknowledge what you're not doing so you can see what you ought to be doing. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about fasting. I just want you to see in this context, Jesus is instructing them. So let's see if we find some threads that put these three types of religious expression how Jesus threads them together, and then how prayer fits into that. First, go to verse 1. Practicing your righteousness to be seen before other people in order that you might be seen by them. That's a key word, seen. The word for seen there is the word that later became the, the word for theater. It came from that root word. It means to put on a show. And we all know that there are just some people that put on a show. We can go this morning and watch children walk in the door. Some of them walk in very timidly, wondering where they're going to go to their class. And some of them walk in like, I am here and I am putting on a show, right? I, I was teasing Nick earlier. I was watching a basketball game yesterday. And you know how they, they turn in on the crowd and the crowd's just going crazy? There was a guy on one of those games that looked just like Nick. And this guy was just going nuts. In the, and so I stopped and called KK in to watch. I said, look at this. I ought to video this and go show Nick that I didn't know that about his temperament, right? I mean, putting on a show. Jesus said, these Pharisees, they're hypocrites. And they are doing it to be seen. The word seen there is theater. The word hypocrite has to do with the putting on of a mask. 
And in the plays of those days, you didn't have to worry about changing a lot of costumes. You could just get an extreme mask and hold it up in front of your face and change your voice inflection and change characters instantly. Jesus three times talks about the hypocrites. Look at it. Verse verse 2, he says, when you give, don't sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Then in verse 16, when you fast, do not be gloomy like the hypocrites. I circle those words so I could see that all three times Jesus is addressing what it means to not be hypocritical, not put on a show. But did you notice how many times the word seen was showing up in order to be seen right there on your first line? But then you go down to the last line of that paragraph, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then you go down to when you pray, verse six, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then you go down to fasting and it says they did this like the hypocrites, disfigured their faces and fast that they might be seen by others. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that fasting may not be seen by others. But your father is in secret, he sees in secret, and he will reward you. So you've got this hypocrite thing where you're trying to be seen one way, and you've got this seen thing before people and before God. There are other words that just keep showing up. One of them is the word reward. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order not to be seen by them, for they will have no reward. It says in verse 2, they're to be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. What's he saying? If you're going to get paid for doing something, they're going to get paid with the praise of men. They've already gotten their reward because people say, wow, that dude is so spiritual. He gave so much money or he prayed such a good prayer or did you look at him? He must be fasting. Bless his heart doing without food, right? Reward. Notice how verse 4 wraps it up in contrast so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now go down to verse six and when it says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then you go down to verse 16. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. They disfigure their face to be seen. I say to you, they have received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that the fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, what church? Will reward you. It's just really important to get the context of the Lord's Prayer to see how Jesus is expressing his light on religious expression that is not a relationship with God. Incredible warning about hypocrisy, about doing it to be seen, about doing it for the wrong reason. Oh, but hey, here's one. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm going to come back in a minute to see if we can hone in on what it means to do it in secret. But let me make sure you've gotten the main point of all three. When you give. When they were giving, they wanted everybody to know how much they were giving. And that's where you get the saying in verse 3. 
Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't mean that you somehow try to psych out yourself and, you, you know, put one hand one place and one another. He is speaking very figuratively and expressing, don't make such a big deal out of it and don't try to do it because if you do it the wrong way, you're going to get your reward, but it's not going to have any eternal investment. You can imagine as a pastor through the years that I've known people that wanted to manipulate with their money. I've enjoyed as a pastor not knowing what you give. I don't check the giving record every week to see what you give. I don't want that to negatively or positively impact how I feel about you in any way. But there is a place for us to be really careful that we don't think money should be manipulating people. Amen? You, you get the point? So he said, when you do it, you need to do it in such a secretive way. Now, does that mean that you can never have a public announcement of what someone gives? I, I'm not going to get into that. I, I recognize that there are fundraisers and things like that. You struggle with that on your own. I'm just saying as a part of corporate worship, it is not where we try to give people credit and anything we give, we give so that we might invest in hurting people and invest in advancing the gospel. Those are the patterns in Scripture. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners. What's that talking about? Well, the, everybody knew when the Pharisee showed up by the way he was dressed, and everybody could tell by the way he acted and in his religiosity how he was expressing his prayers and some said that they intentionally didn't make it to the temple on time so they could be standing at the busy street corner and when the sound of it's time to pray happened they made sure everybody saw them stop and pray have you ever visited internationally in a culture where there's the regular calls and patterns for prayer it was pretty unusual for our children when they were living in a, a Muslim-oriented type country. And early in the morning, the shouts from the speakers would wake up the grandchildren and they would listen as the call to prayer happened. It's kind of unusual when you go to a shopping mall in a country that's primarily focused on Islam and you see in the restroom, a washing station. Well, I'm not talking about where you wash your hands. I'm talking about a washing station where you can go through a ceremonial wash when the time comes for the call to prayer. Jesus is warning them that they not get caught up in the outward expression. Is Jesus saying you can't ever pray in public? Of course not. Jesus prayed in public. The church had public prayer gatherings. We haven't violated scripture this morning by having somebody with a microphone pray for you. But if it's being done so that you might be seen, then there's no eternal thing going on. It's all earthly. But when you pray, he said, go into your room and shut the door. We looked it up this morning to make sure this is the prayer closet word in the King James. It's the inner room in some translations. But there's no question we see 
the challenge by Jesus to pray in a private place. And I'm going to go so far to even say you can be in public and still have a private place where you meet God in the secret place of your heart. Let's talk about that for a minute. Where's your happy place? I mean, you go to the beach. I've I've learned to like the beach. I don't like the sand, okay? I love the mountains. I love sitting on a porch on a rainy day and rocking in the rocking chair. And most of the major decisions that I've made in transition in my life in the last 20 years have come from secret times in the mountain, praying, asking God, Am I doing the right thing? What's next? Where's your happy place? So what about in your house? Do you, do you have one? You know, I'm not trying to make moms of preschoolers feel guilty, you know. I will remind you that Susanna Wesley, who had 15, 17 running around, found a way to put her apron over her head. And they knew that mom was praying, and you better not mess with her when she was praying, Right? Because she had found a place where she could go and talk to God. Where's your happy place? Where's your secret place? And in a moment, as we wrap this up this morning, we're going to talk about meeting God the way Jesus said. Not for public display, but for private, personal intimacy in a relationship with God. Not about public recognition, but about a private relationship with him when you pray go into your room shut the door and pray to your father in secret so your father in secret can reward you and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases you know i was tempted to just take verses five six and seven as the introduction to the lord's prayer i mean it would have been enough this is talking about how not to pray before he tells us how to pray Are you getting the relationship? And as he tells us how not to pray, I wanted you to see it in the context of these other do nots, but instead do. He says, when you pray, don't heap up the empty phrases like the Gentiles do. In the original text, this is a fun word to say. uh, In in the original text, the Greek word that's used is onomatopoeia. Isn't that fun to say? Onomatopoeia, all right? I'm not speaking in tongues, okay? Um, I'm telling you, it's one of those words that sounds like the word that it's trying to communicate. Babble is a word, babble, okay? Murmur, 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 murmur. Sometimes you hear people say, well, that's just a bunch of yeah, yeah, you know? That's just a bunch of complaining. Here the word is like, when you pray, don't let it be like those meaningless phrases Mm, that you don't even know what you're talking about, okay? You can go and find them, especially in all kinds of world religions. You can go and you can find them. And you can see people saying words, and even in distortions and fringes of our faith, we find people who try to use meaningless babble and call it prayer. Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles when you do this. Don't do it for public recognition and don't do it for empty repetition. The empty phrases of the Gentiles, they think they're going to be heard by their many words. 
I was reading this week different people trying to get insight on different angles here. And I read uh, Al Mohler, who is the president of Southern Seminary, probably the smartest student of Southern Baptist Convention, okay? I, he's, he's written a book, and he was talking about this, and he said, you know, when I was a kid, everybody could see that I was very serious, and so they asked me one time, and I think he was probably like the fourth or fifth grade, they asked him to pray, and so he prayed in public, and he said as he prayed, he asked God to deal with all the supplications, and he said, when I finished, I walked away, and I thought, what's the supplication? You know, I just said a word, and I don't even know what it means. And he said, how many times have people been taught to pray, and they've learned phrases that others say, and the first prayers they've ever heard became the pattern that they followed. And many times they're saying things that they don't know what they mean. Isn't it interesting that right before we look at the prayer best known, most quoted I mean, we quoted this prayer when I was a kid before athletic games, all right? And then the coach had to start walking away so he didn't look like he was promoting religion, but we got together and everybody put their hand in there. I don't know if we were asking God, to, if we got more spiritual, we might win the game. I don't know. You know, we were, we were saying words that we didn't know what they meant and we memorized the prayer. This morning, I could start it and we would get confused with some King James English, but it would be our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy. I mean, we know this. But isn't it interesting that this prayer, Jesus warns us not to pray like the Gentiles and just say things we don't know what they mean how many times have we prayed this prayer and we didn't know what it meant? Oh, God, deliver us in these next few weeks to take the most memorized, quoted prayer and to know what it means so that we can pray what you want us to pray and not be like the Gentiles for their many words. Someone's often joked with me and said there's no such thing as a bad short sermon, you know, implying that if it's short, it's a good sermon, Right? What about your prayer? It can be very effective when it's short. But notice how Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases. Hey, can you think of, a, of an occasion in the Bible where this is a great illustration of empty phrases? Write it down. You can look it up later. First Kings, I think chapter 17. Elijah is having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. You remember the story? If you've ever heard the story before, he was trying to show them that Jehovah really was God. So they got together on a mountaintop and he said, all right, bring all your priests, come up here and build an altar to your false God and you guys see if you can make it rain fire. And if fire lights up that altar, we'll know that Baal is God and you should serve him. But if, if it doesn't and God lights up this altar with fire, we'll know he's God and we're going to serve him. All right, we're going to have a showdown. Here we go. Go. And the priest of Baal started saying words over and over and over again, and nothing happened. And for hours, they kept calling out to their false god, and nothing happened. Finally, they started cutting themselves and letting their blood drip on this altar, and they were shouting out meaningless phrases, trying to get him to rain down fire. And Elijah, I won't say that he was in the flesh, but he mocked them. You remember what he said? Hey, maybe you get, get a little louder. He might be taking a nap. Who knows? Maybe, maybe your God's gone on vacation, you know? Uh, hang around a while. Maybe he'll come back. And then to be a real smart aleck, he said, maybe he had to go relieve himself. 
I mean, it's in there. I'm not making this stuff up, all right? He's mocking them about their meaningless prayers to a meaningless God with a little g. And finally, he, after those words, he says, now, let's call on Jehovah. But before we do, bring some water, pour it on the altar. And they watered it down good, and the fire just rained down out of heaven. And the true God demonstrated he was God. I couldn't help but get that picture in my mind when, when he said, don't just heap up empty phrases like they offered up that day on the hillside and nothing happened with their many words. Do not be like them. Oh, catch verse 8. It's right before we start praying this prayer. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Hey, that sounds like a whole sermon series. Why do we pray if God already knows what we're going to pray? But it ought to give us confidence that the one who sees in secret is the one who sees our life. And he's the one who knows what we face. And he invites us to come to him for intimacy. But even more than that, somehow mysteriously in the economy of his kingdom, he said there's certain things he's not going to do until we ask him. I can't figure that out, but you have not because you ask not. It's not that we cause God to do something he doesn't want to do because we pester him. But there is something to be said when God moves on the hearts of his people and he tells us to ask him to do what he already wants to do so that when he does it, we will know he did it. All the mystery of intimacy in prayer when we're invited to come, not with empty words, but to come to the one who knows us completely. Hey, I could go on, but... I'm going to see if we can bring this to a place of prayer in your life. The secret place. The reward. What is the reward? Seems like to me the greatest part of the reward is you get to have a relationship with the eternal God. And he wants to talk to you. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to see how eternal his perspective is. And he wants you to see that he has a kingdom that's coming and he wants us to line up our will with his. And he wants you to see that he delights in giving you daily bread. And he delights in forgiving you and giving you the power to forgive others. And he delights in not leading you in a false path, but leading and delivering you so that you might know that he is your shepherd and he is guiding you. Best I can see, that's the reward. We get to have a relationship with him. The book of Hebrews says, if you come to God, you must believe that he is And that he is a rewarder who diligently seek him. He will be found when you come to him on his terms and not yours. And you come to him and you seek that secret place of knowing and walking with him. When I thought about the other places in scripture we see the word secret. I thought about this. 
And I want you to see it as we close. The word of God is sharp. It's active. It's like a two-edged sword. That's why we need to hear the scripture. We need to read the scripture. We need to meditate on the scripture. Because the scripture can go deeper into our lives than any human can ever go. You know, often I'm called, I, I was just reminded this week of a family that had gone through a great heartache. And it was one of the first times as a pastor I ever had to deal with the deep sorrow and pain of death. And I remember praying with them. And I prayed something that I've prayed hundreds of times since. I prayed, dear God, Holy Spirit, would you give comfort deep into this heart of a mother who's just lost her child and a father who's weeping over his baby boy? Would you go deep into the deep places of their heart and give comfort where only you can go? As a pastor, how many times have I had to say, Holy Spirit, you're, you're called the comforter. Would you go deep into this broken heart and convince them of your presence and that you still have a plan? Our prayer is that happens every time we open the scripture together. Our prayer is that that happens when you open the scripture alone, that you find the word of God active going deep into your heart Listen to the next verse. It, it judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. I'm in Hebrews 4 if you want to find it, verse 12. Verse 13 says, There's no creature hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. You know, that kind of exposure in the secret places of our lives can be a little threatening. Those things you hide those things you don't put on your resume, <laughs> those things that you're embarrassed of, those things that you don't want people to know. It didn't work in your life. It didn't work in your marriage. It didn't work with your children. It didn't work in your job, whatever it is. And there's something that sins you've committed and thoughts you've participated in, things you've done, and you don't want anybody to know Hey, that's okay. I, I don't want anybody to know the things I've thought, the things I've said, the things I've done. I, I've got secret places just like you. But isn't it good to know that God already sees the secret places of our heart? And he doesn't reject us. He says, let's talk right there. Let's talk. And let's let my word do something in you that nothing else can do. And when we know that that's open before his eyes, listen to the next verse. We have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us in our weakness because he was tempted in all points like us, yet he was without sin. That's why we can come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace to get the mercy and the grace we need when we need it. So my invitation to you this morning is, it's time to meet God and the one who sees in secret.
invites you to talk to him and tell him and watch how Jesus will intercede with you and for you before the throne of the eternal one who is ready to give you what you need in the moment that you need it. Would you pray with me right now? Father, thank you that we don't have to be afraid that you see the secret place. We can never fool you. We can never outsmart you. There's nothing we can hide from you. And still we're amazed that you would love us and you would want us. So Lord, deliver us from being hypocritical and playing the external game. And in these weeks, as we look at how Jesus taught the disciples to pray, may we open up our lives to you. May we listen to your spirit's voice. And today we come to the one who sees in secret. And we know that the reward is that we can call you Father. And we can be a part of the unfolding of your kingdom. And we can know and do your will. And we can receive your provision. And we can know that we're forgiven and we can forgive in the same way. And we can follow you and you will deliver us and lead us, great shepherd of our soul. Teach us to pray. Would you look this way? This morning, if you do not know Jesus, I invite you to meet him in that secret place where he says, I know all of your sin and I died for you. The Bible says that the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the very righteousness of God in him. And this morning, you can give him your sin and he will give you his forgiveness and his right standing before God will be what takes you through the clutter into the secret place with the Father. As we come to the Lord's table, it's an invitation to be reminded of what it took for us to be able to talk to God. It took the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. And it's a personal response of faith. So I'm going to ask you just to remain seated for a moment and to search your life. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful to, to give us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's anything you need to agree with God about, any attitude, any activity, anything that you need to make right because you know he sees you and he loves you, you deal with him. And when you're ready, just come and say, Lord, your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me. I do this to remember what you did so that we could have a relationship. Father, use this time of prayer, this time of searching our souls, this time of being reminded 
of what you did to establish a relationship with us based on the cross and the resurrection. Stir up in us that great sense of need and trust and faith and dependence. In Jesus' name we worship. So when you're ready, you come. Take of the Lord's table.